Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sports Virus Podcast, everybody. I'm Joe Castellano. We're brought to you by Kane's Tire in San Rafael, where they have had the lowest prices in Marin County, California, for over 60 years. Well, today's guest is somebody that I've always admired because he was so great on the show Up Close on ESPN. Yeah, for you uh, older listeners, certainly you remember that show from 1980 to 1994. The host of the show was Roy Firestone, and he's going to join us today as we'll have a conversation about the sports world today and about his career and the unforgettable movie Jerry Maguire, where he had a a very uh, fun scene in that movie. So here's a conversation that I had on Tuesday with Roy Firestone. Roy, thank you so much for joining me. First of all, congratulations on being enshrined in the California Sports Hall of Fame. That has to be quite an honor. Well, it is, Joe. First of all, thank you for having me, too. Uh, I was in the same enshrining class of the late John Madden and also Al Davis. Uh, I had many a tangle with Mr. Davis, but uh, John was <laughs> truly one of the, I, I think he was the most important broadcast figure as a, certainly as an analyst in the history of TV broadcasting, in my opinion. Um, so it was, it was just a great honor. Uh, it actually took me a little bit by surprise, uh, but, but it really is. This is their 14th year of the California Sports Hall of Fame, and people like you know, Joe Montana and Rod Carew and Tony Gwynn and um, Barry Bonds and a lot of baseball people, but also a lot of football people, too. Steve Young, I think, is in there. I think there's uh, 40 or 50 enshrinees. So to even be in that class is, is, is you know, quite remarkable. And I'm, I'm very humbled by it, and I, ver- I very, very much appreciate the honor. Yeah, I mean, that's just an amazing list of uh, names that you were running off there. And, uh, you know, you're, you're such a sports fan, and it all kind of started, I, I guess, with baseball, didn't it? I, I saw that you were a spring training bat boy. You might have talked yep. about that on my SiriusXM show a long time ago. I remember you called in, and you were telling us about being an Orioles fan. So that was, what, back in the 60s, right? Yeah, it was. Well, it was not quite 60s. It was it was really 70, 71, maybe 69 at the end. Uh, but it, it was. It was, I you know, I grew up in Miami, and people obviously know about the Marlins because they see the Marlins, but there were, were no Marlins except minor league Marlins when I was a kid. So we didn't have Major League Baseball. The only thing we had was spring training, like you see now in Arizona and Florida. So when the team would come to town, it would be a big deal. To, you know, like the circus would be coming to town for a kid, you know? <laughs> and I literally played hooky one day, and I told my mom, I couldn't even drive yet, and I told my mother, you know, can you take me to the stadium where they train and wait for the equipment truck? They literally did uh, announce, like, like again, like it was the, the circus coming, the equipment truck arrives, you know, February 6th, or whatever it was. And I'm waiting outside with this truck, and they're unloading the gear. And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm 12 or 13 years old. And I say, "Can I help you?" And they told me to get lost, and I stayed with <laughs> it, and I was persistent. And uh, slowly but surely, they said, "Okay, kid, get, grab this bag and help us put that in there." And one thing I led to another. And next thing I know, on Monday, I was named a clubhouse boy and bat boy for the Baltimore Orioles, which was my childhood team. The fast, uh, you know, fast forward to the whole story is I've been friends with people like Jim Palmer and Brooks Robinson forever since, 
50 years. Wow. And they've been, they've stayed at my house. When, when Frank Robinson passed away, there was a memorial at Dodger Stadium. Brooks Robinson and his son and um, Jim Palmer stayed at my house, if you can imagine. <laughs> Brooks Robinson slept in my freaking bed. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have him sleep any other place in my house. I mean, I said, you're the king, you're Elvis. And we, it was just one of the greatest experiences. You know, a long time ago, Maybe some of your audience wouldn't remember. There were fan magazines, like Win a Date with David Cassidy, you know. Yeah. Win a Dinner <laughs> Win a Dinner was, you know, and it was, I'm sure they never showed up. I'm sure they never had it. But this was like Win a Date with David Cassidy for me. The Brooks Robinson, the real one, stayed in my house as an adult. <laughs> and so did Jim Palmer. And so you can imagine what a thrill it was. And still is. I have pictures and we're watching TV, eating pizza. It was incredible to me. And they've remained dear friends of mine, and as you may or may not know, and it's on YouTube for those who don't uh, who want to see it. Um, that I did the speech that helped that that unveiled the statue uh, at Camden Yards for Brooks Robinson. Uh, Brooks asked me to do it. I mean, this stuff is real dream-like stuff. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up, and it happened to me. Um, as an adult, after I had been on television, but Brooks has been so wonderful to me, even when I was a quote-unquote nobody, when I wasn't even on the air, he's always been a loyal friend. He just, I think he's just turned 84 uh, in June. Palmer is still a very dear friend. We speak all, almost twice, three, four times a week, all the time, and sometimes we speak while he's doing a broadcast. He'll text me and say, did you believe, did you believe that guy he can't throw a strike? Whatever it was. So, we still have that kind of rapport, and it really did, Joe, get me going in the broadcast profession. I, I remember, this is a true story, I, I had a little reel-to-reel tape recorder, a little one, <laughs> and I, had, I did a thing with Brooksy uh, the first or second week I was at spring training for my, for my, for my high, school or high school project, and um, I recorded the thing. He did 20 minutes with me. It was very nice. I was nervous as hell. It was probably really my first interview, I guess. And it didn't come out. I went home. I, I was out of my mind with oh my anxiety. God. Yeah. It didn't come out. So I went back the next day. He goes, how's that thing working? You know, Brooks, he talks, how does get southern accent? How's that thing working out for you, Roy? I said, Brooks, uh, it, it didn't record. I, I feel terrible. He goes, well, let's go. Let's do it again. And it was not like, oh, God, I'm not bothering with you anymore, kid. He wanted to do it again. I mean, there's so many stories that I could tell you. It just He's just a prince of a human being. And you, you may have known, because I've written a lot about it, you know, I, I think there are precious few figures in sports that are just such decent people. Al Kaline was one. Tony Gwynn was one. I think Steve Young is one. Or Kurt Warner. But Brooks really is a Mount Olympus, of the, one of the finest people I ever knew in sports. And he's remained my friend for more than 50 years to be able to do that statue. And again, uh, in, that, that statue introduction, it is on YouTube. If people want to see it, it's Roy Firestone on Brooks Robinson Day. Um, it's one of the biggest public thrills of my life, if not the biggest. That's the thing about baseball. I mean, it just brings about uh, those great memories. I mean, it really tugs at your heart more than any other sport. And now, I mean, things have changed so quickly, Roy. It just seems like baseball's changed a lot in the last five years, whereas if you yep. went back 100 years, it didn't change as yes, much. Right. I mean, just exponentially right. changing. What do you think about all those changes? Well, the, well what, let, let me take one, one little thing. Uh, 
And I understand why they did it, perhaps to try to juice up the game, make it go faster. I can't stand this putting a guy at second base oh, in extra innings. I agree. It really, it, and, and by the way, all those years of Warren Spahn and Juan Marichal hooked up into a 15-minute pitching, 15, 15-inning pitching duel, right. that will never happen again now because of this. And I know it's only temporary. I know it's going to go away. But I hate the fact that they tried some things that are going to go away. So it, it screws up all the, the, I think, the legacy of the game. The idea, not, not that you were going to see anyone go 15 and he's pitching anymore, but it, it shows that baseball is, is almost in a panic mode in trying to get the young people involved. And, and they're, they're, they're working counter to what the game is. The game is, okay, it's slow. Okay, it can use some chance. But they're talking about a clock next year. And they are going to have a clock next year, and they're going to be enforcing it. They they kind of have had it um, in the past, but they never enforced it. Now, now when you go to a pitcher throws the first base on a move, he's going to worry about the clock coming back. I mean, it's going to change the game, and they're trying to juice it up. And I think it's bad for the game. I may sound old school. I may sound like a, a somebody who's from a different era, because probably I am. <laughs> but I just think the game, not completely left alone, but the fact that the game should, should not be radically changed. And I think when you start with a clock, you lose the beauty of the game, which that it didn't have a clock, and that what, it was timeless, and that you could be in a situation where things would slowly develop. Yeah, you were losing kids by the boatloads. I get it. But I think there's got to be some other things that are more important. And I think the thing that's most important to me is to keep the integrity of the game there. There's se- there several things uh, that I, I, I really, that really bothered me. The second base thing bothered me, uh, the clock. Now you're going to have a second DH. Uh, I, I think, I think it, it's just, it's not the game I knew. And here's another thing that has nothing to do with on the field. When I was a kid growing up, and I understand the unions and I understand the protections for players and, it's a better time for players. You can see how much money these guys are making. That's yeah. great. But there were trades all the time when I was a kid, and I, it got me excited. You know, you'd say, hey, my father would come home from work. He goes, any trades? I mean, he'd say it like that. And again, <laughs> the movement is protected now from the union and all that stuff. I get that. But it would be, it, you don't see trades really anymore. You don't see a lot of action between teams. Yes, you see the trade deadline. And you see, a, you see some moves there, but it should be all season long. You should be able to see a lot of movement. If a guy wants to make an acquisition, they could do it any time. I, I, there are reasons for it, of course, but I, I, I kind of miss those days when anything could happen. You pick up the paper and so-and-so was traded. I remember when, on my birthday, Frank Robinson was traded to the Orioles. On my birthday, I was probably, I guess, 11 years old. I was dancing in my house <laughs> up and down. It was a thrill. You don't see that much anymore. Now you have the trade deadline, and it's a short period of window, and there's some frantic things that make things interesting. But I would love to see that going on all the time. I, I just think, and, and one other, I can continue one other rant, just one more rant. <laughs> the, cost, the cost of the game to see it. I understand that everything is inflated now. It's not just inflation. There's other things going on. Concert tickets are a joke. I mean, Paul McCartney was in Los Angeles a few weeks ago uh, for a decent seat. A good seat was $800. Who could afford this anymore? Dodger Stadium. I went to a Dodger game last year, $160 for a 
just a pretty good seat. I mean, yeah, you could, that, they'll counter with, oh, we have t- tickets as low as $17, whatever it is. <laughs> they'll say, yeah, the, if you're willing to sit in the, in the bleachers in, in center field, right. uh, it pushed up in the nosebleeds, sure. I think the access and the cost of the game is going to hurt the game, and it's not just baseball, it's all the sports. You know that the Rams are charging hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a single ticket at SoFi Stadium. I think we're going to pay, pay the price, no pun intended, um, because fans are going to be turned off, and they're going, to, they're going to start watching the game on TV, and it's going to become like a studio show. If you go to a ball game, it's like you're going to a TV studio. And most people are going to watch it either on streaming or on TV. The live event concept is running away from us because we simply can't afford it. Uh, I really believe how a family of four, uh, a guy's a blue-collar guy with with the prices being what they are right now, uh, just to live day-to-day with gas prices and everything, how a family of four could afford to go to a Dodger game on a Friday night and walk out of there with it being being less than two hundred three hundred dollars is beyond me because if you look at those prices and concessions and parking, that's what it costs. Maybe more, and I I just think it's a damn shame. Money really, I mean, it can be a problem in all sports, and right now what we're seeing, and li- yeah, and life in general, yeah, in life in general. Oh yeah, and what yeah. we're seeing in professional golf is something that really is I I think it's so controversial and you just don't know where this is headed with this LIV golf series I mean you saw Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson Patrick Reed big names I mean DeChambeau now Kepka some big names have gone over there I don't know what the future is for the PGA Tour and how they're going to handle that here's my here's my view of this too Joe uh it's not like the AFL when you had the AFL you had you know Lance Allworth Joe Namath, these guys were coming out of college and they were, they were recruited by, they literally recruited like they do in college now. They were recruiting them to come to the AFL yeah. for 40000 bucks. Or in the case of Joe, he signed a big deal, was 400000 which was a huge amount of money. <laughs> but they were coming out of college and, and they have every right to compete with the, with the, the established NFL and take advantage of that. We saw it also in the WFL with Zonka, Kick, and Warfield. But these guys, these golfers, are already tens of millions of dollars in the bank. They're already multi, multi, multi millionaires. In the case of Mickelson, he probably has three, four hundred million dollars. And of course, he's a gambler. Yeah. And he's admitted it, so maybe he's trying to recoup it. But it's blood money. And uh, Bob Costas is a friend of mine. We talked about this. It's it's these people, this, these sheiks, and this. The crown prince of Saudi Arabia, he's, he's bankrolling this. And they're throwing, you know, they must have thrown a billion dollars at Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods doesn't need another billion dollars. But this is what it's come to. It's not the same as the AFL. It's not the same as a poor player who just really needs the money. And he's got to, you know, listen to both sides and, and take the best deal. Sure, they have the every right to do it, I suppose. I just think it's to me, appalling, because they're taking money from a regime, and, I, and this is my opinion, but I think a lot of people agree with me, that, that, that murdered a journalist, an American journalist who was a Saudi. Uh, I think it's blood money. I, I, I see it's the way, you know, we see it in China, too, with LeBron James, too, that these people need more and more and more money. 
I, I, I really have a resentment towards it. And again, I, do I think that they have the right to do it? Yes. But do I have the right to condemn it? Yes. That's how I feel. Oh, I totally agree. I think it's a mess, and uh, you know, I'm not on board with the LIV guys. And by the way, series. I don't have any great love for the PGA, Joe, either. I don't. But I still think you need some kind of a continuous flow of the, the, the great players and playing – uh, you know, I don't even know if they have a Buick Open anymore, but you want to see the top stars at the Buick Open. Now they're not going to play because they're playing somewhere else, some, some you know, some other tour. And it splits the tour up, and I, and I think it's going, to hurt the, it's going to hurt their sport, and I think it already has hurt the sport. We'll continue the conversation with seven-time Emmy Award winner Roy Firestone right after this. When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted Best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give him a call at 415 453 3942 that's 415-453-2942 for Kane's Tire. Want to finish up this podcast by talking about you and you know one of my favorite shows of all time was Up Close. You were the host of that on ESPN. It had a long right. run there from 1980 to 1994. I just love interview shows to begin with, but you just did such an incredible job on that show. Tell me about Thank how you. that you're welcome. And how did that evolve? as you went along with it, because you just kept getting great guests. And I mean, it seems like as you went along, you probably got more and more comfortable with those guests and what to talk about. Well, here's an interesting thing. I think we did the first podcast on TV because the questions and the interviews that we did weren't about this week. It's the Bengals. And what kind of defense are you going to run? Who cares? And by the way, they do plenty of that analysis on the NFL network and ESPN and even Fox. Yeah. And, it was the first time that I, there was, I was one of one. There weren't a 1,500 talk shows or podcasts as there are now. Now there's 15 million, maybe. <laughs> but, but I, and by the way, yours is the best. I wanted to let everyone know that. <laughs> but, but, but the truth is, uh, my show was successful because we were, we were the only ones doing it. People started seeing other people come on. The Dr. J's and the Magic Johnsons would come on and, uh, you know, uh, Hank Aaron would come on and people say, hey, if Hank Aaron's on, I got to do it too. I, or I want to do it because Hank Aaron's been on. So it, it, it became like a snowball effect. We did. And by the way, if you really want to go back, I started this, if you really go back to 1979, when we first did a show called Sports Hotline and then a show called Sports Look. So I, all told, I've done well over 6,000 interviews. And, um, you know, I remember the very beginning when we had the very beginning of the show, we would set up with two chairs in the parking lot at the U.S. Open, and we'd be thrilled if the 154th uh, tennis, uh, golfer in the world, uh, excuse me, tennis player in the world, would come on the show. I remember her <laughs> name was Kathy Jordan. I remember she was my first interview uh, in that series. And then one day, uh, John McEnroe was walking in to get ready for his match. And he sees us. He goes, hey, what are you guys doing here? I said, uh, we're doing a show called the Sports Hotline. Um, would you like to join us? He goes, sure. And he sits down. He gives me an hour. I mean, it's unbelievable. And it was John McEnroe at the top of his game. So to fast forward to up close, 
you know, we started getting people feeling the momentum of what the show is like. I like to think that we ask questions that most people didn't hear asked in other venues. And to this day, I don't think there are many shows that, that allow for that, except in podcasts. We do see that. But uh, I just signed a deal with the University of Miami where I'm doing long-form interviews. I just interviewed Jimmy Johnson, Mario Cristobal, who's the new coach at Miami. Uh, we had Jim Kelly, unbelievable interview about what he went through with this cancer ordeal. I'm still battling it. Cool. Um, we, we had Bernie, Bernie Kozar. We had um, Mark Richt, who has Parkinson's. We did some really heavy. I like to think that it's more like an Oprah Winfrey type of interview than a sports interview. And I'm, and I'm, I'm honored that, you know, Jerry Maguire, that movie kind of lampooned it. But it was, it was a real stamp for me because it showed that we made a mark. And uh, I think we, sh- we still miss it. I would love to do long form again in some venue. And I'm doing it, of course, at the University of Miami. But I do podcasts my- myself, uh, not sports-related. I do one for industrial engineering and-, and the Mars rover and all kinds of stuff. But I do miss doing one-on-one interviews. And uh, I do believe that, you know, there's there's to me, there's a big hole there. I mean... I call them shout shows now where guys yell at each other and just try to one-up the other one in opinions. Those are opinion shows. But I do miss the old days where you sit the athlete down, talk about their life, talk about who they are. You get to know them. And when the show is over, you walk away and you say, wow, I didn't know that about this guy. I didn't know that about him. He came off really well. He, he really, I, I, I now have a, a new view of him or her. And I think we could use that again, and uh, we may never have it again because there's so many venues now for for these athletes, and they don't even have to do this. They have their own web page themselves. Yeah. But I was I was honored to do it. I continue to feel humbled and honored to be in the industry, um, and whatever whatever happens for me from here on out, I'm playing with house chips, Joe, because <laughs> I I had the best the best job in the world for really parts of four different decades. And uh, I, I, I have nothing to complain about. I just love to do it again, that's all. There is a skill to drawing out some of the emotion that you did with the players. And, you know, it's funny yep. because you mentioned Jerry Maguire. And, you know, that was really a great scene when Rod Tidwell, played by Cuba Gooding Jr., talks about, don't make me cry, Roy, don't make me cry. Well, you know, that that is part of it. I mean, if you're going to do a great interview, you're really tapping into somebody's emotions. Well, you know, it's funny you said that, because there's two things I want to tell you. First of all, I w- after that movie came out, I didn't even expect that it was going to make it. I thought it would be on the cutting room floor. I didn't think that scene was going to make it. <laughs> not only did it make it, it was a crucial scene, which I did not know at the time. Well, fast forward a few months later, I'm in Liverpool, England, and I'm at a reception, and I got a tap on my shoulder, and I turn around. It was Paul McCartney. <laughs> Swear to God. Paul McCartney goes, you're the guy who makes him cry. I saw you, Jerry Maguire. I'm I'm blown away by this. He goes, what's your name? I said, my name's Roy. He goes, don't make me cry, Roy. That's a true story. But the other thing was that all of these these shows that I did, uh, people walk up to me every day in my life and say, don't make me cry, don't make me cry. (laughs) But the funny thing is, Joe, with with viral um, clicks and all that stuff, when you go on the web now, you say, where do you see the reaction when so-and-so loses his emotions. Like the other day with Freddie Freeman, although that was a press conference, when Freddie Freeman started breaking down and crying, that made everybody, people want to see these athletes be real. Yeah. I don't think I ever, I never forced 
tears ever. Never. I think some guys came to the show ready to cry. Like I remember Barry Bonds cried on my show once. Wow. I remember. Yeah. Magic Johnson cried on my show, but I think it's because I put them in a position where they can talk about their life and they got two emotions that they were, that were just sort of bubbling under the surface and made, um, wanted to make a statement about whether it's their mother. In this case of Barry Bonds, who was his late grandfather, talking about his earring and the whole thing about, about how his grandfather gave him the earring and that people don't understand. It was emotional. And Rodman, of course, was the Mount Everest of my criers on my show. And that's a very funny story is when they were, were casting Jerry Maguire, they were looking for Dennis Rodman to play Rod Tidwell. You may not know that. Oh, no, Maybe people know that. mostly don't know that. But that's who their original thought was to get Rodman. But uh, it, it's it's a to me it's a great compliment. I I shy nothing away from the emotions. But the truth is, I my show just wasn't about making them cry because we put a, we put a number on it one time. I had a research uh, group do, go through every show we did. Of the over five thousand interviews, less than twenty people cried, and yet that's all that people remember. They remember. They remember the tears, and they remember the real, and that's why I think my show had some impact and why I'm very proud of it. I really, I really feel that way. I'm curious if some of the best moments were when you went off topic, uh, because you know, so, yep. sometimes that's when you get the best stuff. You just don't know what's going to happen in an interview. Oh, yeah. I once had, uh, I'll never forget, George Carl. He used to coach the Nuggets in Seattle and he was telling a story about some Spanish basketball player who was a big star in Spain who was killed on the way to the game in an automobile accident. And he took the entire segment, it must have been in about nine minutes, of riveting, riveting conversation about what this was like in the arena and people started weeping. I mean, it was sort of like the Kobe Bryant thing, except that it was on the way to the game <laughs> and people were in the arena in Spain. And it, it was so off topic, but it was so fascinating and so heart rendering that you said, boy, I don't even like asking these mundane questions that everyone else wants me to ask. I'd rather talk about stuff that's really way out there. And I found that the best shows that I have ever done, I once, I once, I once asked Chris Weber, the basketball Chris Weber, um, hey, you know, you know, I always hear that phrase, it's a black thing you wouldn't understand. What wouldn't we understand? That was my question. Yeah. And he took, he took like eight minutes talking about what it was like to be African-American in America um, growing up. In a, and he was nurtured. He was in a very nice area in Bloomington, uh, Michigan, uh, Bloomfield Hills, I should say. And he told me about what it was like growing up in a, in a segregated area, an integrated area, being, being the savior to the high school basketball team as the only black kid. It was just fascinating. And, you know, we didn't talk about what's, you know, what do you think about Michigan this year? It was all about personal stuff. And I really believe, you know, that people say, oh, he's the Barbara Walters of sports. I think it was more closely aligned to Oprah Winfrey, actually. Either way, I'll take either of them because these are famous broadcast journalists, and I'm proud to be even mentioned in that name, but in that group. But I, I really feel when you get off topic, like you said, Joe, and you talk about things in life, um, it, people can relate. They just can relate. And uh, I think it makes for, for, for great television, great broadcast, wherever it might be. All right, the final thing here, Roy. 
Uh, I met you one time at a Dodgers game a long time ago. It might have been before my Sirius XM show. I happened to be sitting behind you at a Dodgers game. And I just introduced myself, and you couldn't have been nicer. And the, the thing I took away from it was that you were a genuine sports fan. I mean, yeah. you're in the yeah. sports media, but you absolutely have the passion for sports. How important do you think it is for anybody who is working in the field to not lose that passion, of, you know, sort of the fan passion that you always had as a kid? If you don't love it, it, it we can say about anything, but it's true. If you don't love what you're doing, and in this case, with what you're covering, what's the point? I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I've I've fallen out of love a little bit in some ways. I talked about the cost of tickets, and it's appalling to me in golf and what's going on there, and no trades anymore. And, but it's still, at the end of the day, it's still sports. It's still the toy department, uh, you know, in in broadcasting. But it's taken on a, a you know a whole different life of its own now with everything cross-examining everything from personal opinions to issues of uh, politics and, and, and demographics and life and everything. But it's still at the root of sports. Do you love the games? Do you love, did you not love uh, when Buffalo played Kansas city in that <laughs> war of a playoff game yeah. last year? One of the, the most, uh, if you couldn't have you, if you didn't have the goosebumps watching that thing and, and there were about four games in the postseason in the NFL last year, one better than the next. They were all unbelievable games. The Super Bowl was pretty damn good, too. Yeah. I just think if you don't love it, if you're dispassionate about it, you don't care, you shouldn't be in the business. And I still love it very much. Um, I do have my criticisms of what's going on in a lot of things in sports. But even I'll give you one other thing. I hate boxing now because I, I knew too many people who had head trauma. Yeah. Uh, including Ali. I knew Ali very well. But was there anything more electric, anything in sports than that first when they're at the center of the ring just before the opening bell? The electricity, I could feel it in my soul. And I knew that I was where I wanted to be in that moment. I was at ringside. When I see, you know, Holyfield and Tyson or Ali and Frazier. I, you know, to be part of that package and to see these great athletes and the excitement and the electrifying feelings I would have. If you can't feel that, you have no business covering it. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Roy, thank you so much for the stories and joining me today. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, Good luck with all your future endeavors and everything you're doing with your Facebook and YouTube shows every week. Uh, must yep. be fun, and I uh, appreciate it yep. so much. Well, I, I do I do appreciate that too, Joe. I do, I, if I could do one shameless plug, uh, people sure. who would like to contact me or uh, they heard this show or they want to look at some of my books or what, some of the things that I've written, uh, I'm at RoyFirestone.com. I will personally respond to anybody who wants to correspond with me. Um, and I love, you know, talking to, to fans and people who have ideas for shows. So it's RoyFirestone.com. And we even have a children's book I just wrote uh, called Kobe and a Boy Named Roy. It's a story of a little dog. Uh, I actually named my dog Kobe after we lost Kobe Bryant. We raised all money for, uh, for uh, shelters for dogs and all the fun rate, fun that come from the book go to charity. So oh, cool. uh, if they people want to get a hold of me, that's the best way to do it, RoyFirestone.com. And I want to wish you the best of luck with this podcast. Always one of my favorites when you're on XM, and uh, we'll do it again. That's Roy Firestone. 
Join us again next week for another edition of the Sports Virus Podcast. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.